Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Future Fit Tribe, before we start today's episode, if you are looking for more inspiration, visit my column on bizcommunity.com where I unpack the burning marketing issues that businesses face today. You can sign up for our Future Fit Masterclasses at booyah.co.za to build connected customer experiences and also check out our other cool services. Last but not least, don't forget to book your tickets to our regular FutureFit networking events aimed at helping you surf the tsunami of change. The events bring fresh perspectives with tour de force speakers and thought leaders as we debate, learn, inspire, connect. Tickets always sell fast, so book today. All the links you need appear in the show notes of the episode or on the website. Now on with today's show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Carmen Murray Show Awesome to have you guys back, and um, we're actually going to have quite an interesting conversation today. The world is changing, and for some, it's very hard to navigate through it, and one of the hardest topics um, for many people to to understand where's a kosher way and how to navigate through it is diversity inclusion. It seems to have become uh, a buzzword that we hear all the time that people talk about, but it's not really knowing is doing. And that is something that I really wanted us to address. So I don't know if you recall a while ago, we had Gavin Moffat uh, in studio that was taking us through his book, our book fit episode. Now we actually, we had a discussion just after he left and thought it would be ideal to invite him back with Ingrid Lotzer as well as Mo Malele. So we are going to unpack this topic and it might get heated in this room. I'm just letting you know, but we are going to have some fun. Don't worry, don't stress. This is going to be all cool. But I think it's more important to realize that we all need to understand how to navigate and how to approach and have the tools and how to deal with each other through this through this change. I almost want to say um, that I see it like the punk era. Like, you know, the punk era was all about truth and it was all about free chords and, and people really taking on um, justice for things that they didn't believe in. But the one thing that punk did was it left this void, this empty vessel, and it didn't take people on the path of what is the right thing to do. So now for the show to start, Mo, introduce yourself to us as if, maybe not as if you were at a party, maybe as if you were in a board meeting trying to explain diversity inclusion. Um, okay, fine. So that's a lot. If I was in a board meeting trying to di- explain diversity and inclusion, um, I'm aware of many hats. I do a lot of things. And that's, you know, why I love life. Uh, I'm a poet. I'm a spoken word artist and a performer. I'm a content producer and writer and uh, also a business strategy consultant, uh, focusing particularly with uh, young entrepreneurs and small enterprises, because I believe that's uh, where the future of the country lies. 
Fantastic. Ingrid. So I'm Ingrid. Um, I am the co-founder of an organization called Hers and His. I am the hers in hers and his. <laughs> um, and we bring diversity and inclusion, gender diversity and inclusion to corporates. Um, I'm a communicator. I'm a human being. I am a doer and a beer. And I'm an activist. Oh, I love that. <laughs> okay, Gavin. I'm Gavin Moffat, and I'm the his and hers and his. Uh, and <laughs> my role these days is much around diversity and inclusion, specifically from a gender perspective. Uh, so that's that's where my passion lies. But I also wear lots of um, other hats and have other roles. I do business strategy. I'm an author of a new book called Swimming with Sharks. Uh, I work a lot with uh, small to medium enterprise organizations. I'm a public speaker. I'm a sometimes musician, even though I can't play any musical instruments, a writer of poetry. That's interesting. We'll collaborate on something. Collaborated. Listen. Collaborated. I was going to sing it. Uh, and, and right now my focus is around uh, gender-based issues. Fantastic. It's a, it's a very important issue. And I think one of the things for our audience, I think we need to set context of, of what that means because diversity inclusion, you know, people can immediately just make an assumption that it just has to do with one particular issue. So maybe let's go around what you understand diversity inclusion to be and then let's take it from there. Mm. Um, so for me, diversity and inclusion is all about, you know, uh, creating spaces and places where people can engage with each other on a human level. It's about creating, you know, a platforms where people are allowed to ask questions where they can, you know, educate themselves, ask questions without prejudice or bias or any sort of retaliation. And it's also about giving people places where they can answer those questions honestly, where there isn't a, a situation where there is a wrong answer or a right answer to, to, you know, how you identify, uh, on a racial or gender or a sexual perspective. You know, so it's about, you know, creating those, you know, uh, places and spaces where there is complete engagement on a human level and there is no right or wrong. It's all about learning and understanding each other. You said it beautifully. Um, what I can add to that is for me, diversity, inclusion, and especially in the workplace, but actually in society as a whole, um, is understanding that we're all different and that there is oppression, it does exist. I mean, there are a lot of people that actually say it doesn't, which is bizarre. Um, and understanding our own prejudices, because we all suffer from prejudice in some way. So the diversity part of things is actually understanding that we are all different, that people are marginalized. And then the inclusion part is realizing actually that whilst we are different, it is okay for us to be different and let's include those differences to our own advantage and that's not a disadvantage. And that's interesting because my understanding of diversity and inclusion has changed over time. Uh, right now, it's around polarization and the fact that there is too much of it. And diversity and inclusion for me is focused around trying to help people not be polarized. So diversity and inclusion is also a journey for me. It's not a beginning and it's not a middle and it's not an end. We are all on a journey, each individual, whether we know it or not, from our birth to our death. And how can we be the best people that we can be on those particular journeys? How can we be the most loving and caring and the most productive and useful human beings here on the planet? And we really can't do that if we don't understand that the world is made up of so many different humans and they're all okay and acceptable, and we don't have to work with all of them, but we do have to understand that they all have a right to be here and live their own useful lives. Oh, that is beautifully said. I really love that. As, as something that you just touched on, the, the polarization. Maybe take me through 
a few examples of polarization that we see because that's the, the, the thing is that we don't understand how to sort out this polarization to, to inform the diversity inclusion. So um, maybe Gavin, since you've opened that one up, maybe start and just give us a few examples of polarization that we are currently seeing in society. I, I think we see polarization every single day in every single way, and we don't even know that it's there anymore. Uh, if you look at the way in which Donald Trump has now made so many of these things the norm, it's really scary because the trickle-down effect is already happening across society. So our ability to call somebody out as being wrong because they have a different opinion from ours is the most obvious way in which polarization currently happens. Um, most places don't allow for discourse anymore. They allow for argument. Platforms provide places for people to argue with each other, not to have an actual conversation. And for me, that's the polarization. There is an, there isn't an either or, there is an either and. Okay. We can both be in the same room, have differing opinions, still get on with each other and have a cup of coffee again tomorrow after a really good argument. We don't have to other and push, push that person away because they think differently from us. So that's kind of it for me for polarization. That's the big umbrella view of how we currently sit in a world that is polarized more than ever before. And it doesn't seem to be improving. It seems to be getting mm. worse. Uh, totally. I think polarization actually has become easier and easier as we've had social media come in. And it's, it's easier for us to share our views on a platform where everybody can share. Mm. So just this week, actually, um, we were witness to polarization in our own family. Now, Gavin and I do this work. <laughs> our kids, <laughs> our kids are around. They're, they're in the same, and they're no longer kids. They're young adults. They're in the same household. And so we started a conversation around gender. And Jordan Peterson came up. Now, um, for those who don't know Jordan Peterson, he's a professor who speaks a lot about, um, gender and, uh, the patriarchy, and he has some interesting, let's use that word, views around patriarchy. And at our own dining room table, we started having a for and against Jordan Peterson. Oh, wow. And it started getting really heated. Mm. And it was uh, one of us, actually, I think it was Gavin, the the voice of reason said, guys, actually, we're doing exactly what we're talking about out there in society. We're polarizing. Let's just talk about this and explore it. Rather than mm. you, the the saying is if you if you're not with me you're against me, yeah. and that's not necessarily true. I love that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I I love the the points that you both have touched on, right? And for me, the most important element of 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 this discussion of polarization and the fact that um you know. What I find is a beauty is 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 the the power of different perspectives, and how we've now gotten to a place in society where different perspectives are being vilified. You know, it's 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 almost a criminal to have a different opinion, context, perspective, or an idea to someone else. You know, sitting on the table, and when we start, you know, and, and when you take that in society and you put it into you know a business context, you put it into workplace and so forth, it even you know becomes you know more of a uh, of a tenuous issue because now there's hierarchy. People are worried about their careers. People are worried about you know putting food on the table and when my increase is gonna come and you know moving up the corporate ladder. And so more and more. Just even just outside of the of, of the social context, you find that the greater power that is having different perspectives, which is how we we improve on ideas, how we invent, how we innovate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually becoming you know crushed down more and more. Um, you know, by 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 the pressures of society. One hundred percent. 
um, you know, one, one thing um, that I've also noticed in polarization is, okay, let's address the elephant in the room. There was the patriarch regime that happened. Um, we still see the consequences of the patriarch regime. And now women are more empowered but than ever before. But now what we're seeing corporates doing, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but maybe I'm treading on, on some dangerous grounds here, but I feel that we're polarizing by now all of a sudden creating coding just for women. We, we should create a community of, of, of men and women coding together learning from each other in this room because now all what we're doing is we're reversing what what we complained about in the first in the first I don't know maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm right but I just feel that there is a, there is an element that we do need to address some of the things um that and and try and correct what happened in the past but maybe there's different ways of doing it but using polarization techniques I'm not sure if I'm convinced that that's the right way forward it's such an interesting point because as a male, I sit and go, males have had a, an advantage for a long time. They've had the first go at just about everything. Um, and, and now in order to create parity, women have to have almost a greater opportunity than men do. Mm. So they have to be provided with a platform with spaces where they can learn and catch up. And the easy way to understand that is um, if, uh, if we're in a situation where men are 10 out of 20 – uh, or where men are 20 out of 20 and women are 10 out of 20, women still have to catch up a hell of a lot before they even get to a space of parity, let alone equality. And therefore, coding for women is a really important thing. Women have to get focused opportunities. It's the same as the theory behind broad-based black economic empowerment. Correct. It had to take place for exactly the same reasons. Unfortunately, it hasn't been done the way it should have. But um, working on gender has to be done in the same way. You have to give women in business, as an example, an opportunity to learn leadership skills. Why? Generally, they haven't been given that opportunity. They've been passed over. Um, men were the ones who were getting bursaries to go and study MBAs and whatever else. So what do you have to do? You have to correct that by providing focus on women. The challenge, of course, is that we have to be careful not to do one at the disadvantage of another. And again, that's a problem because in order for one to step forward, the other either has to stand still or step backward. Mm. And this is one of the biggest challenges that I can tell you that I face with men. Men are sitting back going, so if all this focus is on women, what about me? Mm. And I hear that all the time. I'm not saying that I give it credence. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying that I hear that all the time. And then that breeds fear. And that fear is definitely something that I have to deal with as a man amongst other men, fear of losing out, fear of coming mm. second, uh, you know, all the kind of fear mm. that's related to that. I just want to add to your point, and I love what you – it's a very valid point because, yes, there's definitely um, some uh, things that needs to happen in terms of, you know, um, the disadvantages that we saw um, during the, the regime, if I may, may call it that way. But the one thing that I want to say is I almost look at it as truth and reconciliation. Right. So instead of teaching me how to code, how about we all get in a room and we look at what happened in the past so that we all can come from a place of understanding? Because what we're actually doing is we're treating the symptom and not the root cause. So I want to read this, this quote um, of Desmond Tutu during the, um, the reconciliation um, commission. He said something very profound. There is a need for understanding, but not for vengeance. Need for 
reparation, but not for retaliation. A need for Ubuntu, but not for victimization. So in order for us to move forward as a society and in our businesses, dealing with the past is essential to face the future. We can learn a lot from the work done by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Personally, I believe South African businesses have a huge advantage to drive all of the equalities from gender equality parity because of the continuous commitment of broad-based black economic empowerment. So I would like to leave that with you and see where this takes us. It's really important for corporates or organizations um, or society at large, actually, when we're talking about issues of DNI and how we actually bring in diversity, but we do it in a way that is inclusive and moves everybody forward and not just the ones that were previously dis dis disadvantaged forward. That's actually the complex part of the entire equation, right? And I think it speaks to, 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 to the issue of authenticity. It is important for people to be educated about why these things, they matter. And I think we sometimes get to doing the stuff and we skip the area of education where we talk to people about why diversity matters, why inclusion matters, why we're going about it in a particular way versus another. But I don't think at the moment there's enough enough authenticity in the way that we deal with DNI. It's actually just about meeting the quotas. It's about just like get the black people in there, um, you know, and and give them the right titles. Get the women in there, uh, you know, have them attend one or two you know trainings a year that are accredited, so we get the points. Give them the right titles, uh, you know, promote them over a five year period, uh, and then you know eventually we'll move forward and we'll get there. You know, so so I feel that there isn't really enough um, uh, 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 authenticity mm. to actually be able to move everybody forward. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Just back to what you that that piece that you read in terms of we need to understand, we need an understanding. Um, I think there is a, a a breakdown between the understanding and the behavior that needs and the behavior change. So it's all very well we have these DNI programs. Um, it's, we are aware of our bias now, whatever that bias might be in terms of all of them. But what's missing then is the actually integration, the integration into our lives. Mm. So now I'm aware that I'm biased. Okay. So what do I need to do now? Correct. What are the skills that I need in order to be able to connect with other people and, and explore this bias? And then what is the behavior change for me in society as well as in business or wherever I am? in terms of how I integrate that um, into, into wherever I am. And then, of course, the question is, what if I don't want to? <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is, and this is not happens. something that we deal with. Yeah, yeah. Um, it happens. I, I mean, so we, true. We've been sitting in corporates doing some work over the past year, which has been fascinating, where yeah. you will find that, uh, I'm, I don't want to be stereotyped, but you'll have, in fact, I'm going to stereotype, you'll have a, a direct example that we had, a 60-year-old um, Afrikaans lady and she doesn't want to change. She's got a particular, and she's not a horrible person. Yeah. She's very nice and she's not, she's not overtly racist or anything else, but she doesn't want to change her viewpoint. Yes. And so how the sensitivity and the authenticity you refer to is how do I now deal with that human being? Get them on board and on side within the organization in such a way that they can continue to contribute meaningfully and mm. not feel othered and be allowed to have their own point of view. And so that's one of the things that we've had to tackle on a regular basis, which is let's have a look at the cultural aspects of the organization. Culturally, what does this organization stand for? We've got company X. 
what do you stand for? Where do you stand in this conversation about diversity and inclusion? And once that is defined, and there's two ways of defining it. One is from the top down, okay, mm-hmm. where management goes, oh, let's have a strategy session. Uh, let's go and have a Lachotla <laughs> offsite. Let's go and choose a really expensive. Three days. We'll go and spend it in an offsite. Have a fan- <laughs> so there's the top down way of doing it, and then there's the bottom down way. And we do the bottom down, which is where within the group sessions mm. that we have, we work on trying to find out what the actual DNI culture is within the organization what it actually is, what it really means. Then map that out for them and go, so this is the culture of the organization. Then if someone doesn't fit in with that culture of the organization, that person must then look to leave. And I think that's the point at which we have to have tough conversations to say, so if this is the culture of the organization Mm. and you genuinely don't agree with this, then, then this, this is, is not, not a place, a place for you. Mm. And I think very often organizations are not having those kind of conversations because diversity and inclusion mm. at large is uncomfortable um, yes. and we shy away from it. I mean, yeah. of course we do. It's, yeah. it's uncomfortable. Hell of an uncomfortable to have a conversation if you're a straight male who's been brought up in a, for example, a very religious household mm. and your view of a gay male is that he is committing a sin it's really difficult to now have a conversation with that person and go, you're, you're all right, you're okay, I'm prepared to share lunch tables with you. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's a whole conversation to be had around intersectionality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we are in a workplace, the fulcrum of intersectionality. We've got everyone from religious and cultural different backgrounds in one center. How do we allow DNI mm-hmm. to work within mm-hmm. that context meaningfully? I was actually going to um, just like ask you guys your thoughts on that one in particular. Uh, this 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 uh, discussion, the umbrella of sexual orientation within, or let me say, the umbrella of sexual orientation equality and inclusion um, within the topic of gender diversity and inclusion. Because normally when we talk gender uh, diversity and inclusion, it's uh, we'll have you know a Women's Day function, we'll get a couple of speakers, and we'll hand out some goodie bags with makeup and whatnot. It'll be beautiful. We'll take pictures and selfies. It'll be great. And then for the men, we'll have like a function for the men. We'll give them a couple of you know goodie bags for like with men products and you know we'll talk about you know uh you know treating your woman and all that kind of stuff and then it's great it's done but then what happens you know for 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 everyone else doesn't fall within that you know like the transgender people who are still you know uh, um in their journey um you know the lesbian woman who you know walks into the room with the fitted suit and the bow tie the the, the effeminate gay man who has a bit of blush to work you know, do you go to the women's function? Do you go to the men's function? Which mailing list does a company put you into? Mm. You know, and I myself have been in situations where I've been confronted with these issues. And I still find that, you know, the, the, the umbrella topic of gender diversity, equality and inclusion is still, you know, lacking on addressing these issues mm. in a way that doesn't other the rest of us who identify as queer, you know, and, and, and it sometimes feels like, um, as queer people, we're just like sitting in the background waiting for our time to come. Like right now, it's like the time for, you know, like straight people and, you know, the, like the, the, the straight people's agenda. Like our, like our agenda will come eventually. Like just like sit, you know, in the previously like disadvantaged <laughs> bus. Eventually it'll get to your stop. Then it'll be all about your movement. <laughs> and sometimes it feels that way within, you know, our community. If so. It does. Because if it in fact does get to your bus stop, yes, if it, yeah, yeah. If, it, ever. if it does, yeah. if ever it does, you know. So, what are your guys' thoughts on 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 that? And do you guys come across these issues? I, I would imagine you do come across these issues, um, you know, uh, uh, when you when you work with your uh, clients. So it's interesting. My, in my experience, these these specific um, 
um, functions that you're talking about, I have found that more and more organizations, and especially it's the marketing departments that are doing these these um, events, are becoming more and more sensitive to this sort of thing. So I am experiencing less of that. We still have Women's Day, but there are fewer um, golf days where it's only men and, and organizations in, in maybe it's only in my circle, but are a little bit more sensitive to going, okay, let's make this a neutral, a gender neutral event rather than something that is for only the men and only, only the women. It still happens, but, but I'm seeing, I'm really seeing a move towards making Forward. it, yeah, mm. making it more neutral. I have to admit that I think LGBTQI issues are on the back burner. Mm in South Africa and will be for a while still to come. If you're looking at somewhere like the States, they think that they have moved past gender issues, straight to gender issues, and onto LGBTQI, because actually that's where a lot of the focus is in the States. Mm, some of the work being done there yeah. is, is in that, is in that area. In that and there's some amazing work being done. And the funny thing is they, of course, haven't, haven't passed gender haven't passed, issues in yeah. the first place. They almost, you know, frog deep the last 20 years of those gender issues. But from a South African context, I, th- I still think we firmly focused in the binary, gender binary mm. aspects of co-gender work or gender work. Um, having said that, I, I think one of the insights uh, for me is we've, we've done some work over the last year with groups of people uh, within corporate spaces and it is a very small percentage of people who actually have an understanding of anything to do with LGBTQI. Really, really small percentage. Mm. To the point where you have to go through definitions of what a lesbian is, what gay is, what queer is, what intersex is. Um, You know, the only time that people's eyes light up with any kind of recognition is when you mention a celebrity's name. So if you mention Custer Semenya, suddenly everyone gets some deal of recognition. And so Mm. one of the only parts that we do in terms of the work we do in our Cultivating Connection program is uh, one of the only learning parts. In other words, we actually teach people something. We don't do a lot of teaching pieces. It's all experiential. Mm. Is around LGBTQI, where we Mm. actually have to say to people, do you know what this means? Do you know what this is? And my experience is it is still such a back burner conversation Mm. that we are still in an education phase. And until we've moved out of an education phase and into an awareness and knowledge phase, I think your bus stop is still coming. That bus stop is not, it's not the next one at all. I will, I will, I'm, I, I am happy that you're being honest about this fact that the truth is that it is on the back burner. Mm. Cause a lot of people like to think it's not or they want to skirt around the issue. And, mm. and I, I actually do fully is, agree with you. It's not exactly what I want to hear, but no. I do fully agree with you that, um, you know, like we're just waiting for our bus stop to come and you're mm. hoping it'll come in your lifetime. So and that's see, such a horrible analogy you know? as well. Um, yes. Cause now you wait your turn. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, no, like, just, that's just not cool. And hope it comes in your lifetime. Yeah. But I will agree. I, I'm very passionate to agree with the point on education and, um, in, in my circles, a lot of my mates come to me, uh, you know, like they see me as this one-stop shop sometimes of like, <laughs> the spaza like, shop. Yeah. I mean, you know, like they know they can ask me anything and we've already had all these discussions. So, so they know that anything they ask me, I won't take offense to, you know, and, and I'll teach you how to ask it correctly to someone who you don't know. Cause you've just asked it very off- in, in a very offending way, you know. Um, but, but I do agree with you that a lot of the times you tell people what this means or what that means and be like, Oh, I, oh, I didn't know what passing privilege was. Oh, I didn't know that, you know, it's actually like it's lesbian and not gay. I didn't mm. know about queer. What is that? Yeah. Maybe you know, just explain so to the audience what, what that is because. Um, I'll talk to you a bit about passing privilege, which, which I recently also learned is a term that very few people, um, you know, uh, understand, um, or are even familiar with. So, yeah. so the term is, uh, passing privilege. 
And essentially passing privilege is the privilege that is given to someone who can pass for, you know, straight. So, uh, for example, um, a, 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 an effeminate gay man would not pass for straight, but a more masculine, you know, a gay man would pass for straight. A more, you know, a, a, a lesbian woman who walks around in fitted suits and bow ties will not pass for straight. But the lesbian woman that she, you know, is uh, in love with, who has long hair, wears dresses and the heels and the makeup and is fabulous, um, she would pass for straight. And the reason why there's a privilege attached to that is, you know, when we start talking about, you know, who will get the job or who will get the contract or, you know, when we start talking about issues of corrective rape, we talk, we, when we're talking about gay bashing, you know, who is afforded the privilege to pass for straight and, and not lesbian, gay, bi or queer. And that's why, uh, it's, it's, it's termed a passing privilege. And these are genuine issues that a lot of queer people around the country are dealing with, mm. um, in real life on a daily basis. And it's sad that we're still waiting for our bus stop. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's totally sad. And if you, if you have a look at one of the other things that opens people's eyes is when you talk about intersex mm. and you talk about the fact that the number of kids born intersex is 1.7%. Of the total population. Mm. So at any one moment, 1.7% of your population globally, um, higher slightly in Asian countries than it is here, but 1.7% of the global population is intersex. Mm. That's a mm. huge number. Yeah. Just work that out in terms of it's more than 100 million people. Mm. That's a lot. It's a lot sure. of people. And then the medical profession, what they do is when a child is born like that, they decide, yeah. they decide arbitrarily to remove a part or change mm -hmm. a part without um, consent of the person. So, you know, you might be born into sex and then all mm. of a sudden your parts are female when actually you identify as a male when you're older. That is so yeah. fascinating. And the medical profession, from what I've seen recently, are saying, but I don't make – that's, that's my job and it's not wrong for me to make that decision. <laughs> that is – you that see, is. that opens up another <laughs> so, debate, hey? I mean, like I, – I mean, I'm just listening to all of this. So I just want to give you a little bit of context. So uh, many, 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 many years ago, I used to work on the ships. So when you work on the ship, there's about 700 to 1,000 staff members on there, over 70 nationalities. So they all come from different religions, different backgrounds. And you are stuck together for like six to eight months. You all work together six to eight months, no day off. And you socialize together in the crew bar. You live, you, 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 you have somebody that's, um, that you share a room with. And that person is completely the opposite to you. And you have to find a way to, to get along with that. Before you can start your job on the cruise ship, you have to go for orientation. So that when you arrive, this is like the whole world together under one, on, on one ship. <laughs> Sorry, bus stop ship. <laughs> but it's like one ship. And, and over here, you have everybody that represents a different country. And somehow we all manage to get along and to make things work. There's a diversity and inclusion on the ship, right? <laughs> exactly. And it was just part of the culture that there was a value system put in place before you arrived. That this is the way that we operate. This Everybody is, is equal. This and is this what isn't acceptable. Ex exactly. If you do not abide by these rules, you go back home and you don't have a job. So you would find people that were, um, from different religions, different belief systems that were okay with, with, um, and the Thai, um, people love to call themselves the Hishis. Um, I don't, uh, what, what the Hishis. 
Anyway, and you would see people, the, the, the Russian she, people, she she she. I call uh, them something the she yes. yeah. yeah, the Yeah, it all depends on what yeah. what, what yeah. way they go around. Mm. But but I mean, like it was fascinating, is that in the crew bar, everybody would get together, and you would have the Russians, and you would have the Thai people, and everybody sits and have a big old laugh, and get to know each other as humans because you knew that you were there by a different value system. There's also, uh, so both my kids have actually been on ships, my young adults. Um, and it's very interesting by way of the nature of a person who goes on a ship, mm. you are generally, so I am speaking in generalizations here, you're more curious than most people. Mm. You're open to travel. You're wanting to experience the world. Mm. And so curiosity is actually something that we be curious is the biggest thing that, that our uh, program is based on. Because when you're curious about somebody else, when you're curious about the, the she-man, when you're curious about somebody who says, I'm intersex, you can't be judgmental. Mm. And so this, this person that Gavin spoke about earlier in terms of um, a, an Afrikaans older woman who doesn't necessarily want to change, when we say to her, I just challenge you just to be just a little bit curious about others rather than judging, then she sits in a room and goes, Actually, this is really interesting. Mm. So there is just by being curious that it's, it's a basis. If, if we just as a nation, as a world became more curious about one another, there would be less polarization that we spoke about earlier. And mm. then that lady goes home with a sense of curiosity, mm. with some judgment still there because that's her bias. That's where it's built in. And then has that conversation with her husband. Mm. Or with her kids, or with yeah. her neighbors, or with her friends at the Bri. And suddenly there's a different level of conversation happening, yeah. which can snowball over time if enough of this work is being done. Our, our challenge, of course, is not enough of this getting work traction. is being done. Yeah, it's about getting enough of it done. 100%. Yeah. What I, I would like to maybe start off with a, with a um, scenarios that I'm witnessing. Um, I think all of us see some sort of. Um, elements of of examples happening in our day-to-day life and maybe as experts and dealing with this on a day-to-day basis maybe we can talk about these scenarios so um, I'm actually going to share two the one is um, the interesting thing with me is that I've got a very strong personality make my presence known that's who I am as a as a a person but I'm also um, I find myself sometimes when you when you in business meetings and it's you and a male or a, an authority, an executive, you are taken seriously. But the moment when you have a, a male with you of authority, with a male of authority, you disappear in the room. It's something that really happens. That's that's the one thing um, that I've experienced. I don't know if it's a common thing or maybe I'm being oversensitive, but I do feel that. Um, the other thing that I have experienced is that I find that sometimes this whole thing about woman empowerment, um, all of a sudden men are feeling like they need to now take us and take all of their knowledge and we're this empty vessel and just like drone it into into us as if we know nothing. Mansplaining. Mansplaining. That's exactly that. As if we have <laughs> never, ever done anything in business and like we're a five-year-old and like we're sitting in the, you know, like a principal's office. Those kind of things is, um, it happens all the time. And I don't think it's, it comes from a place of malice. I just think like it's, I want to empower you, 
but there's a way of empowering and I find and I find that very conflicting and I'm not always sure how do you deal with that mo the the so so the first one is actually something that happened uh, very recently with uh, my business partner uh, a new business partner of mine and as you know a business relationship is a relationship you know it's a very uh, intimate relationship um, but he's an older gentleman. He's about, um, 40 or 45 years of age. But every second word that came out of this man's mouth was an apology because he was just so scared I was going to go off at him for whatever. I mean, he'd, he'd open the door and he was just petrified. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm from the old regime. I'm from the old generation. Like literally every third or fourth word that came out of his, 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 his mouth was an apology. And I'm just like trying to like finish the business presentation. You know, um, so I think my first one, uh, my uh, question or comment is, and I, perhaps Gavin can you know weigh in, weigh in on, on on this one from uh, the men's perspective is 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 what has gone wrong uh, along the journey that it got to a point where men are now feeling very offended by it, and that's not a good place to be because then they shut out of a movement they should be supporting a movement a lot of men have the capacity to support because they're not all bad. The vast majority of men are actually you know pro women because they were raised by women. They pro their mothers, their sisters, mm. and their daughters, but. They're so offended that it's just like, like I don't want to touch this discussion at all. I'm sorry. I'll mm. I'll take the bill or whatever, you know. Yeah. Or like you can have the bill altogether. Like what do you want? Um, the second one I wanted to talk about is the role of women within the uh, uh, agenda movement, but the role of women who are already in power and the role of women who already have the experience and have the know-how. What their role is in, you know. Uh, bringing, you know, in, in moving forward the, 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 the agenda, uh, diversity, you know, movement, like what their role is. And are we seeing enough of them playing a role? Because surely there are women who are in power in the country. I know that for a fact. But are they playing enough of a role in moving, you know, um, uh, the movement forward? Um, yeah, those, uh, are, are the two things I'd like to, to, to hear guys' thoughts on. I've got lots of thoughts on that, but let me keep to the scenarios. Um, I want to share two scenarios. One is in the business world and one is in just in the general world. Um, in our, in our uh, workshops, we actually explore handshakes. And when we say, right, do people actually have sexist handshakes? All the women in the room go, huh? What? What? I don't I'm understand. Going, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> how, how does that look? And then we actually show physically what a sexual, sex, um, sexist handshake looks like. And all of a sudden, I'm the room intrigued. opens up. Yeah. So what, what happens is men hold your hand in a certain way. So they'll hold your hand, which is suggestive. Okay. So do um, it for us. Okay. So, so, so first of all, they'll be dominating. So his hand will be pushing your hand down. Okay. I'm taking a picture of this now. Okay. Then That's another way is that he will, he will hold your hand and then he will move his hand away touching the palm of your yes. hand suggestively mm. or he will hold your elbow in a way that's like I own you I'm allowed to touch you and so this happens more than we know and more than oh we think mm. and when when we actually open up the discussion to women in a business place I would say 80% Gavin mm. 80% of women have experienced this and nobody says anything we just accept that handshake and go, oh, okay, that was it is creepy. Especially the, this, yeah. this, yes, yes, or the fingertip, or they kind of hold the palm, they tickle your palm, and 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 so and it still oh. happens. I mean, we've had, we've got feminists, we've got Me Too, we've got, and you're still doing that. 
So that's the one scenario. And then the other scenario actually happened today. Um, sure. We had an accident that was at the bottom of our of our road. We have accidents happen on the bottom of our, of our road um, often. I'm an emergency first responder, so of course my first thing is to go down to the accident. And of course it was quite a bad one. There were four cars that were involved, and so it was a big noise and a huge crowd of people had gathered. I got there later than, than I would have liked to, and there was an emergency responder um, person who was a small um, black lady who was in an overall and she said to me, and as I got there, she looked like she was in charge. And so she was like, okay, right, this is what you need to do. And I could see, I could hear that she was in charge. She knew what she needed to do, mm. and she had got there first. So naturally, I stepped back because she's got this. Mm. Um, and what happened was there was a whole bunch of white people that came in and went, what are you doing? And, how, oh. and literally pushed her out oh. of the way. And she was like crowded out of taking this and she knew what she was doing and then these white people and it's, it's quite bizarre these white people who didn't know what they were doing were saying okay right well how can i help you what can i do move over here not really yes, knowing so angry it was really hard for me and eventually what i said is listen guys this lady was here first she's an emergency first responder let's all stand back so Good i gave her the space to take it but in that scenario, there is the oppression, the the um, um, judgments, the bias, mm. all of those mm. things come out. in one scenario that happened just today. Oh, my word. And that's like life and death. So that's actually horrible. Uh, absolutely. Because people live or die based on whether you get to them at, uh, And there's a judgment in, yes, in yes, the moment. In the yes. moment, you need to make a judgment call. Yeah. And now, you know, our biases and prejudices are hindering us from allowing someone who has the technical capability to save lives from exactly. saving lives. Exactly. Sure. And that yeah. does it on two fronts. That, what, that example yeah. is a front of both a woman and a black woman. And a black woman. woman. Hmm. And yeah. so immediately you see a woman, you think you ask questions about qualification and you see mm. a black woman and there's another whole level of prejudice yeah. that comes into that, mm. which is quite scary all on its own. So now all of these scenarios, Gavin, so it's are they actually, real? Well, I think everyone's scenario is real to them. Mm. They're seeing what's happening around yeah. them. And I think the more you get to have this conversation, the more mm. real it is for you. The more you start to understand what bias is, the more real it is for you. The example mm. of a handshake is amazing because exactly as Ingrid explained it, you start off converse, conversing about this with the people in a room and they're going, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. You go through the examples and they're going, oh, that's happened to me. Yeah. So often that happens. And the easiest way that I explain sexism in terms uh -huh. of pure sexism to men is, would you do that to another man? And if the answer is no, then it's sexist. Yeah. Would you hold another man's elbow when you shake his hand? No. Would you go in to hug another man? Most men would not go in to hug another man in uh, a work context. Uh, and that's one of the things you talk about is how do you greet people in a work context? Do you automatically hug people in a work context? Uh, and there's a whole conversation to be had there. Now, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is what is the cultural norm within the organization? Mm. And if the cultural norm within the organization, so for example, one of the examples given to us was an insurance company where everyone hugged everybody else and was all okay because that was the insurance yeah. company. It wasn't, I was just about to say because yeah. I'm a hugger. I'm wasn't, like, no, but it wasn't, it wasn't creepy. It wasn't weird. Like, it wasn't yeah. anything. That was the culture, the culture. of that yeah. organization, and that's when it makes sense. But if the culture of the organization is not that, then it doesn't make sense. So mm. a scenario is for me, a simple one is whenever I'm in a meeting, 
still, mm. women will tend to be treated as the less powerful um, between me and them. So if Ingrid and I go into a meeting, generally, men would focus upon me as being the person with the greatest power in that room. So one of the things that Ingrid and I have done consciously for 15 years yeah. is that we seat ourselves in meetings in such a way that I am not directly across from the main decision maker in the room. That main decision maker must look at Ingrid and converse with Ingrid. He must have to turn away from Ingrid to look at me. Huh. And you do that specifically so that you create that direct relationship and the, that there is a power parity change within the room. We will also do things like particular pieces of a conversation will be important for her to have. Not because she's more capable or less capable, but because when a, when a man in a room or the person in power in a room hears that conversation or piece coming from a woman, mm. he immediately changes his view of that woman. So for me, my job is one of empowerment in a non-condescending way, mm. mostly with permission. Mm. So I want to ask a woman, do you need help? Can I help you? Mm. Is there assistance I can give mm. you? Because I'm more than happy to do that. I don't have an ego attached to these things. Mm. And men have to play that empowerment role. Men are the ones that have the power. Mm. And men are the ones that have to cede some of that power and help empower others mm. in this process. Mm. And I think that's one of the things we were talking about um, a little bit earlier is men fear a loss of power. And that's where a lot of this fear comes in for men, where they are worried about where am I going to fit in? It's because of a loss of power. And I think one of the things that we need to understand is that there will be a loss of power. How can there not be? In order for there to be power parity, that means that somebody can't have more power than anybody else. That's what power parity is. That's what gender parity is. It means equality, the same as. And for that to happen, there needs to be some relinquishing of, and within corporates, that's obviously a big conversation piece. Mm -hmm. And that also means that it impacts the potential success of diversity and inclusion programs within corporates, mm. whether there is in fact a belief that DNI is needing to be culturally put into that mm. organization. So am I going to parachute it in? Yeah. Am I just going to go in there, do my cultural uh, diversity and awareness program, and I'll be out in a month, and then guess what? No impact, no change, mm. nothing different. I've, you, you referred to it earlier, Mo. I've ticked the box. Mm. And once I've ticked the box, I, I, I can wait again for another 11 months, yeah. and I'll tick the box again next year. It's exactly the same as you know Discovery Health's uh, vitality program. I'll, I'll do my HIV test or I'll do my whatever test, uh, and then I don't have to worry about it until next yeah. year because yeah. I've got the points. Uh, and, and it's a great point of comparison. So my scenarios are around seeing this happen. And I'm really fortunate that I have three strong women in my life that share with me when this happens to them. Yes. And also when I do it to them. Mm. Because I was brought in, in up in a world that is patriarchal. Mm. And so guess what? I'm sexist. How can I not be? I spend my life trying to be aware of when I am so that I can change that. Yeah. Hopefully, by the time I die, my DNA will have changed. Mm. Um, but it's unlikely because the first 25 years of my life were brought up in that space. It's the same yeah. as the race conversation. Yeah. yeah. And I think just just um, to, to add to that point, I think that is why it's so important for us to try uh, to avoid this polarization because – 
having a more meaningful conversation means is that we can explore and have open discussions with each other and say, this is not making me feel comfortable, vice versa. It's not something personal. I just want you to, to understand, you know, because if we, if we divide people all the time, then we're never going to get to have these honest conversations. Absolutely. It's what, what Mo was saying earlier about authenticity. Mm. Um, we need to be able to speak our truth. Yes, And to, to go back to what I said earlier is we need to have the skills to be able to speak our truth. It's just speaking your truth might actually offend somebody. Mm. So how is it that we speak our truth in a way that doesn't offend the other, Correct. but also speaks my truth in going, I do work in an insurance company as an example. Yeah. And you know what? I'm actually not comfortable with you hugging me. Um, and being okay with that. And I realize that's who you are, but that's I was abused I am, yeah. and, and it, it makes me mm. feel uncomfortable. So have, teaching us, and it's not, it's not difficult, but actually what we need is on a, a school level mm-hmm. is to start teaching kids to be able to speak their truth, to be able to know that they're okay to say, um, I, I'm, I don't like the way that you spoke over me or whatever it is so that it becomes natural the way we do it, and also accept it when we do it. Good points. And there's a great example of that. I don't know if you've seen the, the recent video that shows a teacher, Japanese, uh-huh. outside a Japanese classroom, and on the wall are four images. And these school kids who look to be about six or seven are walking uh-huh. into the class. They get to choose what greeting they are going to receive from the teacher that day. One of the pictures is a high five. One of the pictures is a hug. One of the pictures is oh I, can't, I can't remember all the pictures. <laughs> and so the kid points at the picture that they want and goes high five. Teacher gives him a high five. Points oh, at, the, points at the hug and the teacher gives him a hug. <laughs> and the point is that we should be able to define a, a greeting as an example, the kind of greeting that oh. we want to have with somebody without the other person getting upset. It's not all about you. Uh, and this is one of the challenges we have. When we're having a conversation and somebody gives a point of view that's opposing yours, it's not about you. It's not personal. Don't take it personally. Yeah, and that is our challenge with all of the platforms that we deal with, all the social media platforms. It is all about polarization. If you don't agree with me, you're on the opposite side. Yeah. I have to run you down as quickly as I can. And that is incredibly unhealthy for a country that yeah. is as diverse as we are. We are incredibly diverse. Mm. By definition, any of our corporates are diverse. Yeah. Why? Yeah. They have so many different languages, cultures, ethnicities, religions within mm. them. They're diverse automatically. That, however, is not the challenge. The challenge is how do you appropriately manage diversity? And this is one of the things that people miss in a diversity and inclusion conversation. Diversity and inclusion exists. How do we manage it appropriately is the thing that distinguishes one corporate from another. Mm. Those corporates that appropriately manage diversity and inclusion are the ones who gain, Ingrid, a competitive, competitive advantage. advantage. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. But I mean, this might not be a, a, a similar example, but I remember, I think that the, the also the important thing is having that boundaries and that boundaries is not something to take offense by. And I want to give an example when before I, I mean, yes, I feel like I'm, I'm a hundred years old when I talk about it, but when we were in the ships, we actually specifically got training on people um, with a disability. And one of the things that we were taught, especially when you have guests, um, how to treat them is that you need to ask permission in order to touch the wheelchair, because that is consent. You are taking control over 
their bodies by by touching the wheelchair so you have to ask them for consent and all of these things that you you had to do that you never ever thought about you would think that you're coming from a place of being polite to help push this person and you see them battling getting up um, the staircase or whatever the case might be the ramp and then you automatically want to help and it's not that you're coming from a place of, of malice it's you want to help but then there's also boundaries as to that person has rules and you need to ask what they are. And I think this is the the interesting part for me. What I'm learning today is to understand what the boundaries are, not just for me, but also for the person that I'm engaging with, no matter what race, gender, uh, religion, whatever it is, I need to, like, for example, you can't shake a, a, a man's, a Muslim man's hand, which I only learned the other day. Or a woman's hand. Or a woman's yeah, hand, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the first thing that we usually do is go, <laughs> yes. you know, like. So, so we have a whole experience around that yeah. uh, in terms of Dubai. So we've, we've been very fortunate to do business with an organization in Dubai for a couple of years. And we've traveled there and back, both Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And um, that's one of the things we had to learn very quickly uh, was that it became Ingrid's responsibility to wait for the man to proffer his hand to shake. Don't go in for the handshake first. Wait for the man to put his hand forward. If he puts his hand forward, he's cool with the handshake. Same as a woman, for me, um, shaking a woman's hand. You walk up, not with your hand out, but waiting. And when the woman extends her hand, I put out my hand and I shake her hand. Otherwise, you just bow and say hello. Otherwise, you you just give a gentle hello. And it's just one of those things about cultural sensitivity that we mm. all need to be aware of but it, it's also a case of gender sensitivity no it's so true and i think in part as part of this diversity and inclusion but this inclusion but in bringing it back to what we need to do is that boundary setting that you mm. spoke about and then asking mm. so is it okay for me to um clap you on the shoulder and say, well done, you got that, or or are you going to be offended by that? Mm. And agree as a team or as an organization of what's okay and what's not okay in the workplace, just as much as we have it in our families, just as much as we have it in our circles, mm. um, is that's setting awesome. those boundaries. And then we know that that's, that's acceptable behavior. Mm. I think respect is also a very important part oh, of it. Yes. Respect is important. I think the way in which you communicate your um, disapprobation for a particular way of being treated or addressed is 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 vital to the kind of result or or, or, or behavioral change you're going to get. And I'm right now I'm reminded of um, an example of a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're sitting in a meeting and we're engaging, engaging, engaging. Then the meeting ends and one of uh, the um, ladies in the meeting, a colleague of mine, an, an, an older lady, very happy with, you know, something that I said in the meeting. And as she walks out, she, I'm sitting down and as she walks out, she rubs my head. She rubs my head and says, good job, Moski. And, <laughs> and I, I remember the rage in my entire body and confusion of the level of disrespect this woman though <laughs> my brain was just like just like went on overdrive and then i but i sat down and i looked at her and i said thank you very much but please next time like don't do that but thank you very much i'll send an email at the summary but like please don't like rub my head like that it makes me feel really uncomfortable <laughs> you know and she was like oh okay sorry about that uh, it won't happen again and then we moved on it wasn't an issue it wasn't a big deal it was just like just please don't do that to me like don't walk around touching my hair 
was another discussion I had to have with her. Like, you can't just walk around touching my but hair that's a real thing, and saying yeah. you like the texture of it and that I've changed it this week. Like, thanks for complimenting my hair, but don't go on rubbing it and touching it, you know, um, without permission. <laughs> um, so we had to sit down and have that conversation. <laughs> but, but, but there were conversations and, yeah. and you see the behavior changing. And so I think mm. respect is a very important part of, of, of behavior change because you have to understand where I'm coming from mm. and I have to understand where you're coming from and that your treatment of me makes me feel uncomfortable. So please stop it. I'm asking you nicely to stop it. And that doesn't take anything away from you to stop disrespecting another human being. The challenge with respect is that we have judgment that comes into play when um, we have religions or we have, we've been brought up in a certain way, so judgment steps in. And then respect goes out the window very quickly. Yeah. Mm, and you can't true. say, you must respect me, true. Um, which is why we always turn to, to curiosity. Um, and if you're curious about somebody else, then, then you can, um, adjust your own respect. Mm. Um, so yeah, you wanted to say something, Gavin? I think the permissions thing is, is a, a really interesting point because we come from a world where no permissions were asked. Yes. Mm. You know, in, in the past, where did we do permissions? permissions we we yeah. didn't. Particularly because certain levels of society had automatic permission to do everything. They were granted permission yeah. by a level of superiority, whether it was your financial well-being, your skin color, your education, whatever it may have been. You had automatic permission. And now people are going, well, that's not okay. I'd like you to ask first. And at the simplest level, it's it's like something to do with my name, Gavin versus Gav. Mm. If you want to shorten my name, ask me if I'm okay with that. Don't yeah. just assume that it's okay. Mm. And I think that's also one of the challenges that men have, is that men are having to understand, well, what do I need to ask permission for? So men are moving into a space where there's a lot more questioning going on, and they're finding that a little bit difficult. You know, They're standing around going, so I don't know whether I'm Arthur or Martha. I don't know where I stand anymore. And the way to deal with that, quite frankly, is exactly what we say. And we become almost like a irritating noise in the back of your head. Be curious. Curiosity yeah. and all of these circumstances allow you to be able to engage in a way that is respectful and that you learn. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's really why we're here. I, I also just want to, to add something to this whole conversation and everything that I've observed is something so bizarre to me is that a lot of corporate organizations don't have proper values set in place yet they make these bold statements in the public place that that is something that they stand for i'm going to give you one example pink tax is a perfect example of, okay, so you want to have gender equality, uh, parity within the organization, yet you still sell products and the fact that it's got a pink label, it's 13% more expensive than the exact same product that's got a blue label. So it has to start within the organization to understand what that means for it to transcend to the consumer because it comes back to the consumer also picking up on a lack of authenticity which is guiding whether a consumer is going to buy from you. So diversity inclusion is something that you can't ignore. You you need to fix it, the body from the inside out, right? No, no, I'm going to totally disagree with you. You can ignore it. And how do we know that? Because people and companies 
all over the world are doing exactly that. They are ignoring diversity and inclusion. They're ignoring conversations around LGBTQI. They are ignoring it. So I agree with you. You shouldn't ignore it. But the bottom line for companies is it's all about the bottom line. Yeah, what that has and, to change. And they know. are <clears throat> ignoring it every mm. single day until you reach that point, the tipping point, where your customers say to you, you can't ignore it anymore. Mm. And one of those tipping points recently, nothing to do with gender, was around something simple, straws. Mm. How did the mm. straw issue become so big? so quickly that practically every single major franchise no longer has plastic straws in it. How did that happen? If we could replicate something like that with regard to gender, True. that would be amazing. Not sure it's necessarily that easy. Yeah, I, I, I tend to uh, agree a bit with uh, Gavin on that point. I think, and having spent some time in corporate um uh, 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 I've noticed that the vast majority of corporates, if not all, have some of the best policies on diversity and inclusion in the world. Like when you read the the the, the dossier, it's actually quite exemplary. <laughs> it, it's not for real. I mean, it's it's like thesis, like you know, Nobel Prize winning um, <laughs> uh, 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 policies that you know uh, uh, the companies have. But. The problem is this. Oh, and they take these policies and they like put them into their decor so that, you know, when you walk into the office, it's all about diversity and inclusion. It's the first thing you see when you walk into the office, right? So obviously, like, you know, it's important for us, right? Right? But no, the people who are entrusted with the vital job of embodying these values mm. and creating a space and a place where these cultures live in people, where they live in, in the air, and the atmosphere of the business, and mm. they are tied directly to our business results and how we do business and engage with consumers and customers. The people whose job it is to do that are not doing that. Mm -hmm. They're just about the bottom line. And let me tell you what, if it comes down to, you know, can I make an extra buck by cutting that one line item for that, you know, uh, DNI event that we have once a year. Um, well, it boosts my tax, my, my, my profits by 10%. So we can definitely cut that budget by 10%. And if you look at some of, you know, um, the, 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 the budgets that, you know, corporates are giving to diversity and inclusion, they're actually quite tiny in comparison to, 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 to what they could be or in comparison to, you know, how big the organization is. Mm. You know, we're not talking about big budgets here, uh, um, for diversity and inclusion. So I think they've got the policies in place, but we're not doing enough work in, in implementing mm. and executing those, those policies. And one of the things I realized, and I said this some time back, was that it has to be tied to the way you do business. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you are a for-profit business. Mm. And anything that is not moving the for-profit business forward will fall by the wayside. It, it, mm. it, it is an unfortunate truth of business. Mm. 100%. So it has to be tied to the business. And there has to be people in the organization whose job it is to keep it tied to the business. Mm. You know, so that the you know, the rands and cents guys who are counting how much profit we're making, how much share we're gaining or losing, don't lose sight of it. They can't lose sight of it. Yeah, but I am going to challenge you on that. Yes. Because I believe in marketing myopia. Yes. Okay. This is true. Okay. So we need to move away from the supply chain to the demand chain. And society is changing and they are woke. Mm -hmm. And they're becoming mm -hmm. woke 
day by day because of this little thing that we have in our hands every day. Mm -hmm. We are more connected than ever before. You cannot be short-sighted and just see tomorrow and the buck that I'm chasing today or tomorrow. I'm going to give you an example. And you were at the Future Fit event when Pepe Marie from Joe Public said one thing. He said, I want you to think of two apples, right? We are taught at school, apple one plus apple two gives us how many apples? One plus two apples. Two apples. You see, there's something fundamentally wrong in that because we don't have foresight. What if I open the apple and I plant the seeds? How many apples do I have now? So we need to start changing our mindsets and think of tomorrow's Mm. problems today in order to work on tomorrow's profits. Because if we're only going to focus on what's in front of us now, we are going to have huge issues in the future because we can see it coming. Yeah. yeah. There's a secret ingredient that I think is missing. <laughs> um, this, and the secret ingredient is that most organizations have a vision and a mission and they have these values that are on these pretty posters and we have all these woke people in the organizations. Nobody is translating the vision and the mission and these values into behavior. And so what we do in, in our um, workshops is we actually say, okay, right, so you have these vision, vision and mission and values. Let's translate that into DNI and let's translate it into co-gender. What mm. does it mean when you say we are a productive team? Mm. What does that productive team mean? What does it look like mm. to have a productive, diverse team? Mm. What does it look like to have inclusion in that team Mm. and then give people an an option and a choice to go, actually, that's better for us. That's how we change because we have these woke people Mm. that are now going, yes, I can do something and I can do something when I leave this room rather than the organization has told me I need to do this DNI thing and I don't even know what that means or what it looks Mm. like. It's a bigger picture idea that you were referring to about how do I deal with this? Um, there's a, a lovely example of how the sheikh who's in charge of Dubai, mm-hmm. uh, the crown prince, decided to deal with the fact that they want to be a major tourist destination. Okay, They are already, but they, they want 20 million people visiting Dubai. They want it to be the most visited city in the world. They've got around 800,000 people who mm-hmm. work in the hospitality industry dealing directly with individuals. How How can they possibly get all of those people to sing from the same hymn sheet. Mm. Oh, well, you know, being Dubai, what do they do? They say, we'll call it the Dubai Way. They now have a program called the Dubai Way. Mm -hmm. And the job of that program is to get all 800,000 people to think the Dubai Way so that every interaction that anyone who deals with um, tourists or business people has is the Dubai Way. It's respectful, it's uh, inclusive, it's all of these different things. And so that is an example is the kind of big, hairy, audacious thinking you need in order to move towards diversity and inclusion, taking the place that it's meant to do in the world um, as, as we need it to. Well, that's a very interesting thought. I wish we could literally sit here the whole day and um, just like talk about this because I think there's so much there's to talk so about. Much more, yeah. mm. I don't think we're covering everything. No, we're not. Topic. I feel, yes. oh my gosh. Anyway. There's a lot there. We have to bring the show to an end, but we have to follow tradition. I am all about games. And um, I am very excited because Barry Hilton has um, decided to, to sponsor the game section. So we are going to play the game. Yay. Yay. 
Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here, and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers, but this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question, and all you have to do is answer Three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it. Go. Okay, arts and literature. Words that rhyme with bry. Name three. Fry. Hi. My. Thai. Okay. okay. Theatres in London. Name three. Uh, no, ah. no coward theatre. Yeah? Um, uh, no, pass. Okay, moving moving on. Wooden Allen plays. Woody Allen plays. Woody Allen plays. Oh, no, no, man. <laughs> Barry, look what you're doing to them. Theatres <laughs> in New York. Um, I'm just going to go for the West End. The famous, the famous. Okay, the next one. Tabloids. Okay. Okay. How about City Press? Um, uh, people in New York Times. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, now another arts and culture. Sci-fi novels. Three. Oh, well, that's easy. That's um, um, how do androids dream of electric sheep? 2001, 2010, <laughs> <laughs> three. Okay. And then there's 2061. Okay, performing arts. A spoken word, um, um, acting, music, music. acting, oh, oh, anthropology. Oh, okay. Done. You you managed to okay. Soccer the could, the soccer it. one was better. Yeah, this, but, yes, much better. <laughs> that one really makes us look like we know something. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time today. I think that this is going to be uh, um, very valuable for our audiences, and we would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, please jot us a mail, um, and let's explore it further. Thank you so much, guys. Bye bye now. Bye bye now. To our amazing audiences around the world, thank you so much for your ongoing support. Please take a moment to review and rate your favorite episodes, which will help others find us. You mean the world to me, and I thank you for being part of my journey to get people future fit. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. For show notes and more episodes, Visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray. Hi, I'm Pepe Murray and you're listening to another Solid Gold podcast.